0: Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill.
1: Welcome back to the show. This is episode two eighty three I'm Scott Jones and I'm Bill Bohr and with us is Matt Milner dr Back. Matt Milner dr Matt Milner
0: thank you you know often uh, our lack of expertise doesn't stop us um, from seldom. talking about seldom but we were getting we were coming up on this subject and we have a good friend who actually is an expert no on it's the like subject.
1: everything about this
0: so we invited uh, and those of you who uh, who you flew uh, me in you flew let's flew me say flew me in.
1: me in by the way can we just say part of the inspiration that for this episode is that Bill likes to sometimes share the podcast in various um, in various social media groups. So one group uh, he refers affectionately to is the Zwingli and Taliban. Uh, <laughs> uh, he posted a, a, an episode that had a picture of Jesus, and they said 2C violation right yeah, there. I,
0: well, I've been guilty of the 2C violation frequently. I'm in, I'm in the 2C penalty box often. Um, but it actually created an interesting discussion on their site. Shout out to our good Canadian friend, Well, and also we got the nice charity to them. Let's put it down until we determine whether or not it's legitimate. We've removed the icon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, So this is this is going to have the semblance of uh, open minded fairness.
1: We we also had got a great compliment. (laughs) They said uh, they said, hey, we don't need to listen to some poor man's morning, Joe.
0: So that's what they call it. That's so, what up, they called us. So, and oh, actually oh. Scott sa- says he thinks we're at least a middle class. Yeah. Like a
1: li- li- yeah. Maybe even a gentrifying class morning job. And, you even, know
0: and I don't think either of us get it quite as annoying as either, uh, Monique Mika M- or, or Joe. Joe, Joe, they're getting a little, yeah. So By the man, way, I, well, they
2: were, they were punching below the belt there. Ah, uh, that's always
0: right. No, right. Yeah. But we actually, we, I see in our, world, in our weird world, that's a compliment.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We thought that was we nice.
0: Like, I kind of stopped, I don't
1: know. By the way, before we get love, into, love into our topic of the day, I want to ask you guys, are either of you guys watching The Mandalorian? No. no. That is, hands Tell down, one of the best things I've seen like lately. And here's the interesting thing. like This Star Wars movie that's coming out, Lindy, I just borrowed tickets already. We have our reserve seat. But this film, the first time it was tested, it got terrible... Screen test, right? So Eisner, whatever DC, he's still the uh, he's still the uh, the um, CEO of Disney, right? I think so. I uh, so Eisner made them rewrite the thing, and they and it screen tested bad again. They brought uh, Lucas in to do the last third of the movie, redo that, and still it got better. But here's the thing, though: the best Star Wars thing out right now is the Mandalorian, which follows this guy from like Boba Fett's sort of tribe. Mm-hmm. Who has this badass armor? He's sort of like part samurai, part cowboy, and it's just amazing. It's like the best. So,
2: so, so the screen testing succeeded in improving the product. He,
1: well, this The Mandalorian wasn't screen tested. It's a streaming oh. show on the Disney new streaming service, and okay. it, you know, so it. Uh, by the way, Adam Morton from Facebook Live says that he would take us every day of the week over Scarborough. Oh, that's Sadly, not about a half man, half Delorean. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But it's great. I just want to recommend that for television lovers. It is like it is like back to Star Wars as Western. So it's like this guy, like mm. it's shot very much like a Western.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, mm. that was what was fun about the first one. Yeah,
1: and he has Baby Yoda. He he comes. He has this little sidekick, Baby Yoda, who's very cute. Everybody loves Baby Yoda now. So it's very. Mm. Um, mm. Just telling you guys. Mm. Yeah. There we go.
2: All right. Not unrelated to the iconoclastic controversy, no.
0: because yeah. this
2: controversy had to be screen tested over and over again until it finally satisfied. Exactly. The so there it All is. Right.
0: All right. Well, let's us set this up a little bit, and then Matt, we're going to hand it to you. All right. The iconoclastic controversy uh, uh, was. Uh, what'd you say? Well, roughly took up half a century, a little longer than that, in the eighth century. Would you say? I would say more than
2: a full century.
0: More than a full um, century, totally. Yeah, yeah.
2: that people throw around the term iconomaki, that is, icon struggle. Um, right. So, if you if you really the long end of it would go from about seven thirty to eight forty, give or take. What
1: M a c h y? Like I've like give me another thing that would you would use maki. Like
2: um, I think it in in regard to. To power, um, is, I okay. think that's oh, a, okay. A, dude, okay, okay, right, power right. Show. Okay, So, okay. so right. people sometimes, if because they, they don't, they you know, the way historians are, they're like, well, iconoclasm. It, not as many images were broken as we thought. Let's let's have a more inclusive term that encapsulates the complexity of what right. was going on in that time. Whether I don't, I don't necessarily use it, but they throw All it around.
0: Right. And we will put you. You you wrote a you sent a very helpful article that a book review that you had written that um, I think it would be a good summary for folks who don't necessarily want to get totally into the weeds of this subject. And yeah. Um, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. I realized when I taught church history one, that I maybe spent five minutes on this controversy. Cause hmm. obviously when you're, when you're doing a century, yeah. a, a century a week and it's not, you know, for those of us in the West, it's, you know, it's not as maybe yeah. uh, important, but I think. But but it is so,
2: has so much explanatory power to understanding what happened.
0: And all, but also, but, it, but as we've talked about before, it's a living issue for people, and certainly...
1: It's just quite specifically your friends in the Zwinglian Taliban. The <laughs>
0: Zwinglian Taliban who go after me on a regular basis. But, yeah. you know, I... Uh, um, we've also I, At least I've served in a couple churches uh, that still were traditional. They were old enough to be uh, still traditionally reformed in their architecture, and uh, there were no no symbols, no crosses. As a matter of fact, the, the church that you and I... We're out right together and met i you know, the cross got put up front under my my pastor. A so glorious
2: we, Celtic cross. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. So yeah. but there were no crosses in that. And then I you know, I was in a I served in the eighteenth I've two eighteenth century buildings that uh, there certainly were no pictures, no images, no crosses. So yeah. uh it is for, for I could point and th- I could point
2: to Catholic and Orthodox churches where the exact same thing is the case, which nobody likes to believe because it doesn't fit in your nice verbal historical right. packages. But the truth is that Catholic and Orthodox churches have also had churches that are pure
0: white boxes. Now, of course, you know, again, who was, I guess, lost his name. Uh, the Spirit of, it, it, like written, was it Lebec who wrote The Spirit Robert of the Bible? Oh, Barca, oh. The spirit of Prostism. Yes, a great Raymond section. Brown. Well, he has a great section in that book about uh, seeing the mystical dimension to um, Calvin and and in that lack of you know that you can see that it can either be the absence of anything or the fullness of everything. So uh, that's an interesting image too. So, and, that,
2: and that's what yeah. Randall Zachman's done at Notre Dame with his stuff on image and word in the theology of John Calvin. He said that this is a theology that is teeming with images it's intended to be understood that way so and he said it stands squarely in the small c catholic tradition so this caricature of calvinus is semi iconoclastic froth-mouthed insanity plunged through history doesn't make any sense anymore but, that,
0: but that's I, I let's put this maybe get a little more a little more uh, things on the bones here so the iconoclastic controversy it's in the backdrop of the expanding um um uh, very successful Arab conquest uh, uh, yeah. in the Eastern Empire. Uh, the Byzantine Empire, the East, well, the Rome, Roma, or Rome. Right. Uh, uh, the Roman Empire, as everyone <coughs> called it then, um, was immediately, in, in such a short period of time, radically diminished. Uh, all the great yeah. an- ancient churches, uh, you know, Jerusalem, Antioch. Uh, you know, Boom. Boom, they the all Crisis and, of
2: the seventh century. It, yeah, insane.
0: Yeah. So you know, one of the traditional ways this story is told is that um, there's a sense where uh, Emperor Leo the Third, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leo the Yeah, there's yeah, you know, and also the, the there's a huge volcanic explosion. So it seems as if that God had lost favor with the empire with all the defeats and everything, and. Um, in some levels, as a pious response or an attempt to, kind of, what's wrong here? Uh, and I think there was also a wasn't there a, one of his generals was one of his sons who won a battle by not and did not have icons into battle. I think they won a battle in Syria somewhere. So there's a couple of different I'm versions. of fifth, yeah, fifth. That's his son, right? Yeah, Constantine fifth. Yeah, exactly. So combined the two of them, there, there was a sense where uh beginning to question maybe the idolatry behind some of this. How would you? Tell that story yeah. any differently? Is that close enough?
2: I think it's completely fair. Um, you people have overcorrected to the point where they're saying Islam is um, not a factor, and maybe it doesn't do all the explain, explaining. But it nevertheless is obviously there's something that that changes the complete mood of of the time. And the thing about this is that maybe one way before we get too much into the thick of it, some people are like, well, you know, it's just the the, the little illustration tacked on to the conciliar era. They had all these great, serious theological controversies. And then we throw in the pictures at the end where that's the way it's been understood. It is still puzzling to me how um, people will well, we just have to stick to the four ecumenical count. Like, why are you stopping with four? You know, why wouldn't you go to the complete seven? And I guess that, well, because that's, we know, peripheral and uh, not important Wrong. The reason that there are seven is they culminate with images. It is seen as the natural consequences of all the hard work of understanding that the church has been doing that you've been exploring. And so we, I think, have to see this as something of a grand culmination. And some people might read the controversies you've already talked about, like Nicaea, and they get worried and they say, well, I don't want emperors telling us what to do theologically. And if that concerns you, and I hope it does, then the Seventh Ecumenical Council and the last conciliar epoch to decide upon icons is your answer to that question.
0: That's right, the bishops because, the bishops take the church back in some ways.
2: Exactly. So if you yeah. don't like the fact, should we wait? Should we wait for the maestro here, or should we just go for it? Just keep going. Let's keep going. All right. So if you don't like the fact that if someone is successful in the military sense, and then starts telling the church what to do. If you don't like an emperor saying, this is how you're going to behave church. Then you want to know about the iconoclastic controversy because that's the punchline. When we come to the end of it, the emperors don't get to tell Christians what to do. This is the silly Da Vinci code caricature that you can't scrub from people's minds. Well, the emperor came along and said, you should believe in Trinity and keep unified so I can control you. That's completely not the case, because as you already pointed out, we had Aryan emperors. That argument right. cuts both ways. The church is, yeah. is slowly smoking out the truth over these times. So so yes, Islam is a part of it, and that's just the beginning, and that sort of pushes the issue, and the church then has to figure it out. We'll wait for Scott. Scott, get back in the cockpit here. We were All flying right. without you, man.
1: People saying they can't hear you. Oh, that'll do it. That'll so do it. I think I fixed it. So I think I know what we're doing. Okay. But let me see.
0: Well, if why we why while he's fixing it. Um all right, let's can we can we talk a little bit about John John Damascus, John of Damascus probably yeah. if I figure that uh everyone, I think you know, a little earlier, the two figures that everyone should know about regardless of what from this time period regardless of what communion you're in would be Maximus Confessor of an earlier, you know, a little a little earlier who was also Involved in this is, you know, I, I agree with you. This is like a Christological debate. I mean, I still think the, it is.
1: it's completely.
0: Yeah. And so I think Maximus Confessor is, uh, you know, I say he's he's an obscure writer who's worth trying to understand. There are many obscure writers that it's not worth the time. But uh, like I would I would say David Bentley Hart <laughs> uh, in the
1: recent book on universal salvation is a complex author that's not worth understanding.
2: Oh, I would never say that. about. I don't understand it, that he book? has meant too much to me. He has meant too. I know. Much no,
1: to the beauty of the infinite is one of the great. People are
2: enjoying bringing him down. He may have had an off day, but they're enjoying bringing him down. I think that sometimes it's envy behind it. He has been too much to me for me to throw him. I, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not Maybe saying I, I have agree. Envy. With you. I don't know. Well, no, I'm yeah, not we, saying you. But sometimes I, I hear some of the reviews, and I'm like, oh come on.
0: You, but we've like we We've we've we really have loved the earlier books and think he's like oh, brilliant. That's yeah. what makes us disappointed in this book. That
1: I book know, is I, like one long meditation baited. on the Pharisee and the publican. It's like him saying, "Thank God, I'm not like one of these Christians <laughs> that believe this. Thank God, I'm not like one of these." It's a very uh, angry, book. but
0: that's that's all, uh, we're all stuck to It's all. a
1: very angry. It's it's a very angry book about the God of Love. Yeah,
2: I don't want to get baited into this. I would love okay. to talk more about. It. But anyway, right. we are uh, still
1: not hearing you That's interesting. To be continued. All right, all right, we
2: gotta, so John, fi- we gotta, we gotta figure it out. We're uh, <laughs> they gotta, they gotta hear us.
1: I mean, they'll it'll hear that we're recording, the recording it, the their audio will be fine. But
0: oh, no, all right.
1: I'm trying to, so I'm trying to see if they can, I can make it so they can hear Matt on Facebook Live. But I, it's okay. very difficult.
0: All right,
2: John of Damascus. Well, let's see. Well, why do they need to hear me? Icons are enough. Words are unnecessary. Exactly. <laughs> <my whole> <laughs> it's funny. Exactly. exactly.
1: Wow, I they can hear me, yeah, is it' still working yeah, I mean it's we're, we're recording it fine for the audio. It's just that like uh, because as we're streaming this, somehow your audio is coming into our ears but not going into the Facebook live. I don't know why. and is this is my mic working? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. like yeah, the recording we can, we can hear you. yeah, the recording's fine. You the audio recording, recording's fine. Yeah. It's just we just uh will have to they'll have to listen they'll have to download the podcast <laughs> to hear what you have to say.
0: And then that ups the uh, the the stats for new exactly. choice of work exactly, which has obviously been our whole strategy. That's why we're so, one. that's why we're so. It's dangerous. a money
2: making scheme. That's, why, that's, we're so, that's why we're so. That's why we're
0: so successful. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? projects i've got in the works so i invite you to be a patron through patreon of this which i think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy again any contribution is welcome but for five bucks a month you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call which begins right now thank you david babico andrew stravitz barry stewart ben crosby ben dehart carol clemens charlotte Donlin. David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Kress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butrin, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show.
0: Okay. John Damascus.
2: Well, and this is where when you, when we've got a mosque around the corner here in Wheaton, and I like to say to our Muslim neighbors and friends around here, hey, thank you, by the way, for, uh, Sheltering John of Damascus when the Byzantine <laughs> Empire flaked out on icons.
0: Because you're the
2: ones that made it possible.
0: Yeah. Because absolutely.
2: because as the Byzantine Empire begins to say that icons of Christ are impermissible, it just so happened because of the and this is where you say it's like everyone gets puzzled. Oh, why would why if, if Christianity is true, why would God permit Islam to take off take out these major patriarchs? And granted, it is a great mystery. Right. But at the same time, you might say maybe because the kingdom of God is not equivalent to those borders. And John of Damascus would be the great example of that. Right. So he's he's a son of a tax collector who's working for the Muslims. He becomes a tax collector himself. And then he is given the shelter to – he retires and then he moves off to a monastery. And there he begins to compose his retort to the Byzantine emperors who had said that icons are not allowed.
0: Yeah, and I think in many—I mean—in many ways, where the Seventh Ecumenical Council ends up, I mean, he would be his his teachings would would really be the best representation of of that in terms of really understanding yeah. this about being about icons or about the incarnation, about the full the full yeah. reality of God becoming human. Yeah,
2: I would say that they're important, but they're not the best, simply because I mean, in the sense that they are they are if you're going to read yeah. one source primary source, he'd be the person to go to. Okay, But as a result of the century-long controversy, the argument gets refined. And John of Damascus's arguments for icons seem, in retrospect, somewhat elementary. Okay, And so when your Zwinglian comes along and says, I read John of Damascus, I'm not convinced. The problem is they're not reading the best arguments. Okay. They need to advance to the second stage of the controversy where I think they would find some of their concerns are directly addressed.
0: So can you give us a name? Yes. Theodore the Studite, oh, that yeah. is to right. say,
2: of the Studion Monastery in Constantinople and Patriarch Okay. And if you wanted to see those authors tidily, well, you can read Theodore the Studite on the Holy Icons. Um, that's available in a new edition and also in the St. Vladimir Seminary, more popular patristic edition, you can get you can read what he has to say. But it also has been nicely bundled together in Charles Barber, who's an art historian who wrote a wonderful book that explains how the the refinement of the arguments for icons gets more and more sophisticated. And folks, this is where we say to our Calvinist friends who or our Calvinian friends, we might say to be more um, conciliatory to them is that Calvin did not know this later stage in the argument. And so if you continue to insist that um, icons are not permissible based on John and Damascus, it's like, well, guess what? You know, download the new program. It was updated. Right. And right. Stop complaining about these bugs that have long ago been fixed. How are we doing, Scott? We're okay. Here, we
1: do. We you're do. Now. Yeah. Actually, what we're doing is like routing you through the headphones when you're talking. So into the mic.
0: So um that's MacGyver level so, fixing
2: right there. That was MacGyver. It is. It right. is. Tell us. I, MacGyver, hear, I,
0: I would love to hear you share a little bit about, cause uh I mean, uh, I know you studied in Cyprus. I've seen some of the things that you've seen. Cyprus is often some of those churches, Cyprus were ones where the icons survived. And now is that, is that part of the mythology of the, yeah. Know, so, tell, so there's, tell. there's,
2: there's there's different outposts of the empire where, so Cy- Cypriots would say that the um, decrees against icons were not formally um, enforced in Cyprus, and therefore there's more of a continuity. Whereas, of course, that can be claimed in Catholicism, but that is we shouldn't we shouldn't retro. Right. What do we mean by Catholicism? We don't want to get into that, but we that would be the case for the most part in the West. I,
0: I mean
1: by Catholicism right. whatever Mel Gibson means.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Now Perfect. that that um, so all this to say, oh, uh,
1: there boy. are we very much like in your country. Uh, we have a statue of your um, Melvin Gibson. <laughs> 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 so.
2: There are little pockets of the Byzantine Empire that would say that, um, again, orthodoxy, the ultimate lesson of Byzantium, and it's a lesson that certain quarters of America (laughs) need to learn, Right, is that orthodoxy ultimately had to distinguish itself from the political machinations of the empire that hosted it for a time. That's the long-term, millennia-long lesson that Byzantium tells us that Orthodox. it doesn't matter if Constantinople falls because this faith is larger than, than whatever the Byzantine emperor manages to string together. And so in some senses, the iconoclastic controversy is the first moment where that's realized. And then there's parts of orthodoxy that can say, hey, we never enforced this thing of taking down the icons. And so Cyprus would be a little pocket of the empire that claims that. And this is the other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of Orthodox people, capital O, will say, well, we've never, we've never got it wrong. We've always had it right. You Western Christians have, have flaked out. And it's like, well, I know the most sophisticated of them would not put it this way, but it is nevertheless a popular argument that's thrown around amongst the capital O Orthodox. And you say, you guys blew it in regard to the iconoclastic controversy. And that's why the, the camera shifts to Charlemagne, December 25th, year 800, Is because the Pope's like, what? What are you doing over there? I got to figure out our own thing here because you're breaking icons and we don't think that sounds legitimate. And so it is one of those tremors in the political stage theater of Europe at that time that causes um, this rival imperial dynasty to emerge that we know as Western Christianity and the Holy Roman Empire. And so that really, so again, it's like, wow, this little controversy is doing a lot of work both theologically and politically to help us understand the structure of what developed in
0: Europe. So, are you going to now tell me that that icon didn't really, St. Luke's icon didn't really swim from Constantinople to Cyprus? Are you going to blow that for me as well? I
2: love that story. And I believe that that story is poetically true, even if it's not literally true.
0: So, well, so I'm not going to ask you about Santa Claus then either. The Bishop of Mira. He, yeah, there we go. I'm just kidding. For, I, those of you don't know, for those folks who don't know that legend, tell us the legend of an amazing icon. That's uh, that's. Uh, if it
1: can swim, I'd say so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is tell us nice. the story. <laughs> tell us the story, Luke. Or Luke, yeah, there, Luke. tell us the story. Well, yeah, Luke, I, get, I get my disciples it, mixed right? up. All right, go ahead. My gospels. Yeah, go ahead.
2: There. You tell. I mean, there are wonderful stories of this of the icons finding refuge. We could call them refugee icons. There's one at Iviron Monastery on Mount Athos, the Portaitissa icon, this that is understood as, in some senses, one of the central Marian icons of that wonderful peninsula that is this all-male monastic enclave of people, this big men's Bible study of, <laughs> of, of God being praised all the time. Promise and, um, keepers. They're, promise keepers that, right, right. Older, <laughs> and older promise keepers. And um, not as much hugging, though, not as no, much um, hugging. And, no. and so I love these stories of, of icons finding refuge. And I think maybe you could say the same thing in Protestantism, right? As um As some of these images are destroyed, some legitimately right? You have this uh, uh, what's, different what's pockets.
1: A, of what's processes. a legit destruction? What could you get behind that was destroyed?
2: Interesting. What is a legitimate
0: destruction? I actually was okay with only walling up the organ because then you didn't have to listen to it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> a I, legitimate... I, I, I like organ. I, I think about uh, organ, up, The up. thing
1: about organs, though, you do have to have for it to be really good. You need a kick-ass organ, you need a kick-ass organist, and kick-ass acoustics for it to all flow together. I feel like if you don't have that.
0: Then you board it up like yeah, yeah Yeah, okay,
1: okay. that's fair. Yeah.
2: yeah, that is such a good question, Scott. What, what, what constitutes a legitimate destruction of images? I would say um, someone who decides, for example, that I'm going to have to delete Instagram for Advent or something like that. I mean, we can be more subtle about how this works in the present age. But we all know – I mean, here's a legitimate case of um, – image destruction someone smears on my forehead dust you are and to dust you shall return that's an act of iconoclasm that's breaking the the ego of matt milliner in a and my baptism was a legitimate destruction of images see what
1: people don't get you are dropping dope knowledge right now dude this is (laughs) i like
2: this what, what people don't understand is that they, they traffic in these caricatures of Protestantism, and they put all the iconoclasm on us, and they say, you're the ones that well, were these insane mobs going around destroying images. First of all, that's a caricature, and you could read William Dyerness's book on the reformed image from Calvin to Edwards that talks about the rich, iconic culture of Protestantism. There's a one-word reply to the people that say that the Protestant church has not emphasized art, and that's Rembrandt. It's like, wake up. Um, haven't you looked lately at what this extraordinary? I,
1: I thought you meant like the reformed image, like the PR. I was going to say from Calvin to Edwards, angry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ed, 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 That's true. Ed, Edwards That's actually true. wasn't angry. He's a, he, little, a little. Well, he gets he, was, he gets bad rep. He, I mean, he wrote at, a that, at that sermon after they fired after they fired him
1: after they fired him from his church and said it's always sad when a part pastor and congregants part on this. Side of life, but it's even sadder knowing that some will be parted for eternity. Like that's saying you guys, a lot of you are going to hell for fire, especially for fire me. That's a little angry.
0: Well, I mean, a lot oh, of people come out. A lot of people come out of personnel committees feeling that
1: way. This is true.
0: Yeah. Um.
2: By the way, um. In Mar, I, a, a, fr- <laughs> a friend of mine, Randy Heinig, uh, recommended to me. He said, "Look at Marston's biography of Edwards." And look oh, yes. at the last the last paragraph of the book. It is the most marvelous 500-word encapsulation of the gospel you can think of. And he snuck it in there as a way of, in essence, preaching the gospel at Yale University Press. And I picked it up and I said, oh my goodness, he's right. It is." He's like, this is what Edwards believed. And it was this marvelously positive view of the world in yeah. which the majority of people would be saved. And this God of infinite beauty and light spills out his glory to the world in order to share it with us. Oh, it glorious. Yeah, glorious. No, Do you know
1: why Marsden became a historian? No. He told, I, Pete Enns, he was at a dinner and asked him, why'd you go? He's like, well, I was going to go, he was in a pretty conservative church world. He said, well, I, I was thinking about doing biblical studies or theology. But then I realized if I go to an elite institution and get trained, like I might not be able to teach where, like what was taught by the best scholars. He was like, but nobody cares if you're a church historian. Nobody thinks your views on, a, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards or, or Charles Wesley or something messes with your view of the Westminster, you know, the yeah. confessional thing. Yeah. So you could be a church historian and a world-class scholar and, and not get in trouble with the uh, ecclesials. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. It's very smart.
0: So it's I like, smart. Are, are, I'd like to shift this, Matt, to talking more contemporary issues because, uh, yeah, we jokingly about my, uh, and actually it was unintentional offending people. I, I just forget they get offended by that uh, sometimes when I send it out. Um, and I actually, getting ready for this uh, podcast, I listened to a lecture by, I don't know if he's a PCA guy or an OP guy, but actually, on some this of
1: station. our best friends are in the PCA.
0: Well, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I was listening, I listened to a historian who it was really interesting him talking about the, uh, this controversy because he, he, thought uh, Leo the Third and Constantine V got it right. So there's a sense where, you know, and that the church went backwards. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and which in turn means Rembrandt should not have painted. Well, all right. Did. But, but okay, what I, I want to say is your own, you just, I don't know if we were recording when you said this, but in your own classrooms, you have people who, this is part of their very sincere and genuine piety that, you know, that any image of, Christ is a is a a second commandment violation, and and it seems to me two CV too but it does yeah they they have even have they have shorthand for it which because I I've gotten that I've been in
1: you you know they're saying that a lot if they had to come up with a shorthand
0: well for right <laughs> well so so I mean so but again the fact that there's such and I I actually followed uh, some of the debate after my uh, after my last post and um uh, and these people are true I mean they're they they sound like people who have been. They're deeply offended by this. This is something that's become part of their pious and sensitivity. I mean, again, I don't mean this as facetious. I mean, yes, the, uh, the Zwinli Taliban is facetious, but it feels like the kind of sensitivities you have to have. If you're, you know, you've, you've done a lot of ecumenical work. I have as well. It does feel like the kind of sensitivities you have to have when you are, you know, engaged with Muslims or, or devout Jews on some of this stuff. So, Exactly, and your, in your con- yeah. Well, cause, and and it comes from, I think, you know, a similar place. So, in your as a teacher uh, of of mm-hmm. people, and and we're with we a diversity of opinions on this issue. Talk talk to me about how you approach it, and also what you what's at stake in the. You know, again, this is a small ghetto within all that's going on in Christianity, but it's a it's you know ghetto that we touch on. It's a silo that we seem to visit. So. What do you? Do you
1: you, pro- you ghetto You mean like this? The conservative sort of reform people in North America and other well, places that the, are that are really hardcore yeah, on this yeah, issue. Like,
0: yeah, the vast majority of Christians doesn't care about this. Okay, yeah, but um,
1: Catholics or Protestants. I mean, most people, most right. Protestants don't have a. But there are people you know,
0: who believe strongly.
2: First of all, if I have an iconoclast student, I am thrilled, and the last thing I want to do is to say, "Well, you naive young man, we'll get you fixed." No, the fact that they have enough faith in a transcending God, they are worried about depicting him. Do you realize how much of a treasure I that mean. is? So I can't, I mean, that's the perfect thing is to have someone who, I mean, I, I want to be careful here, but um, he's hmm. an image Trump's
1: worshiper an and we
2: all know what that image is. I heard you say um, 50-50. <laughs> anyway, <that's, laughs> let's not go there. Um yeah. So, um, so in other words, yeah. if this, if I have a student who is a true iconoclast and I had one, the gift of one classroom that was perfectly split down the middle and it was wonderful. And I finally grew up as a teacher. Cause I said, instead of just going to town and, you know, breaking out my books on, a, on the, the controversy and telling them what really happened, I said, all right, let's feel this out. Like, let's see who I said, all right, make a case. Who's on the fence. There were two students that were prizes. That is, they didn't know. And so the thing was, let's see who can win those students. And by the end of the session, um, one of those students became an iconoclast and one of them became an iconophile. It was fascinating. So without even bringing up the arguments employed by Constantine V and then later by John of Damascus and then Theodore the Studite, they came essentially came up with those arguments almost on their own. So you realize when you see church history reenacted huh. in a in a managed wow. classroom, you realize that these are deep human questions. This isn't arcane theological disputation. These are these are deeply connected to people's piety as well. So let's find a couple of ways to approach this. First of all, I'm glad to have a student like that. It's like if I were to have a um, and I have and I do have a young Earth creationist student. What a gift to have a student that believes so seriously in the Bible and believes that God created the world. The last thing I would ever want them to give up is their belief that God created well, what the world if you could get, or the belief in the seriousness of the Bible. My job is to make them believe more seriously that God made the world and that the Bible is even more important than that student thinks the Bible is. That's my goal. I, I like to say to them, I'm not a six day creationist. I read Psalm 104 He sends forth his spirit and they are created and therefore I am an everyday creationist as was Jonathan Edwards and every second creationist. If God wasn't making the world right now, we would all zip away like I just did from the disconnection in the podcast three minutes ago. So
1: given that that that's your attitude, would you feel like you just won the lottery if you got a flat earther?
2: I'd have some work to do. I'd have some work to do. Yeah. And, and I realized that this We're might dead, be offensive to, to some, a person right. out there who is, does not believe in images of Christ who says, well, I'm not a six-day creationist. That would be interesting to, to talk to a person like that. Um, and I'm not necessarily equating the two issues, but I'm saying pedagogically I would approach them in the same way. I'm thrilled to have a student with that position. And what I would want to do is to create an environment in which they could hold on to their convictions and just have them refined. I said, look how how awesome of an iconoclast are you going to be if you can withstand the best arguments ever made against it in this classroom. That's a great position for that student to be in. And the first thing that I would say is that we all have to have a common ground of iconoclasm across the board, whether you're Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant. I don't understand why that is an issue for some Catholics and Orthodox. I hope it isn't. But if, if any Orthodox Christian were to pick up Athenagoras or any of the ancient or tertullian or any of the ancient christians they would see iconoclasm par excellence directed exactly at the roman empire and its idols and so christians have to start with iconoclasm right. you have to start with the right you don't have to literally break images but you have to realize that the true image of christ is opposed to all the other political images that and religious images that are surrounding the roman empire and that's the only reason that the image of christ prevailed in the great yes well, and they're not yeah, they're not gonna you know the they're martyrs not be I mean, born, and yeah the great yeah. apocryphal story that is so true even though it's apocryphal is i'm not saying historically true i'm saying poetically true is that when mary and joseph and jesus flee into egypt they go into the city in egypt and all the idols fall they're beautiful icons of this because the true image is coming that's a right, picture right. of the history of the world in a nutshell so again iconoclast and that's
1: do you, feel like, do you feel like there was no room for them <laughs>
2: There's so the Christmas, because it was Christmas? Right? That's right. It's the Christmas like, rush. So, we can't we, – like exactly. I never there thought of it that it. way. But that must be the reason it was booked. So all this to say, you, I think that you have to – if you're going to win those students over um, to an iconophile position, to, which I don't have to do. But I want to start by saying you're right about something and that the position of – Constantine V is really well thought through in a lot of senses, and Karl Barth, from what I've been able to understand, still held on to it. But again, great theologian that he was, Barth was unaware of these more advanced arguments that were made to defeat the position of, of Constantine V. And so we should probably tell our listeners what, what that, those arguments are. So again, after having first said, iconoclasm, that is the breaking of images, is a fundamental feature of Christianity— that Orthodox Christians, and you might say, an Orthodox person would say, well, we, we did it, but then we stopped doing it. No, you didn't. You didn't, because there was a second iconoclasm directed at people in the 11th century who then were taking images too seriously. Even the Byzantines continued to see the need occasionally to delete their Instagram accounts in a liturgical sense, and say we need to remove the images. And on the Catholic side, there were whitewashing of the churches 150 years before the Protestant Reformation in the North. 150 years before. No Catholic that I have heard um, is aware of this because they have pinned all of the iconoclastic blame on Protestants. But they did it too because it's occasionally a pastoral necessity. The Duccio's Maestà was removed from Siena before the Reformation began, because it was being used in an idolatrous way. So again, all Christian churches need to have an iconoclastic um, part of who they are. We always have to have the iconoclastic hatchet in our back pocket for when we need it. And especially we need it in an image saturated age like ours. So that's what we start with. And then we could go on to other things, moment for breathing or questions or anything.
0: Does that make sense? Well, I guess what yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's very helpful. I think for me though, um, and and maybe this comes because I think there was there was some of this not as not as stringent as um, some of the the more uh, strong followers as Winley and Calvin, but uh, it seemed to me that one of the dangers within the Reformed tradition is um, is not always exactly. realizing the full implications of the incarnation. And I think to to me and to me that's there's something about um, you know sounding a little bit like one of the uh, northern tribe reformers and uh, killing all the prophets of Baal. Sometimes when that kind of passion is present in some of our reform brothers, mostly brothers, language, um, I'm a little I, I'm a little nervous about the missing the. Imp- the full implications of the incarnation. I mean, I think this is where yeah. sometimes Luther is more yeah. helpful than Calvin or at least the the trajectories. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what, what, what do you see about that? And, and Scott, look, you and, and i and talked about this. And now with that Scott, first like big kind of too, having Scott.
2: conceded the fundamental iconoclastic approach of Christianity, you're now moving in the direction and having done that, you then have to understand the implications of what happened when God became flesh And so that's exactly the direction we need to go. Scott, what do you think?
1: Right. ahead. So I remember a couple of years ago, I was having a discussion with some people from Episcopal Church in downtown Philly. And we were talking about like church buildings. Uh, There was a couple of lay people. We used to go out and have beers. And like, we there was three of us. We're all different generations. So one was like a boomer and one was like a greatest generation. It was me. And we were talking about like, you know, church plants and, and spaces that are sort of functional versus sort of more traditional artistic sort of, you know, and the older guy said, you know, I just think it's natural. We want to, build, we want to make a home for ourselves, like in, in domestically and in religiously, like we want to decorate it. We want it to have meaning and, and symbolism. And I think part of that, right, is part of the human vocation, right? That God wants to, wants us to we're in the image of God, and we're we're to be creators, we're we're to be makers, we're to be workers. We're to, to, so I think that like on some level, yeah, the 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 implications of the incarnation and 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 God commissioning us as co-creators, as, as co-laborers in many ways. Like that I think makes it helps make sense of this need for uh images that evoke our passions, our, our, you know, our religious sense. At the same time, I think that what you're talking about, the iconoclastic danger is the Tower of Babel thing, where it's like, instead of making a a home as, you know, it's interesting because what is um, Shememun saying for the life of the world? He's like, you know, uh, human beings are the only creatures that can eat, like, eat Eucharistically. Thank Mm -hmm. God back Mm -hmm. for the food and offer it to him in praise. Mm -hmm. Like... And so something about, and he says, you know, what happens in the fall is, is Adam mm. and Eve create religion. They separate part of the world out mm. from God. And and I think so part of the iconoclastic need, the, the reason we need the hatchet is we can go, quickly go from trying to make a home that, that helps us honor God and, and gratefully to making one to replace God, you know, or, or, or to make ourselves gods. And so sometimes that yeah. sort of... Creativity can become idolatrous, you know, because God gets cut off from it. So that's so I think. And Scott, how many of those beautiful Philadelphia churches
2: began as heroic projects of um, domesticating the sacred in the best sense of that term, and making a a home of worship for people in the neighborhood, and then became museums of high society Philadelphia that were then worthy? Yeah, exactly. That's the rhythm. That's the the brazen serpent Mm -hmm. is an image of liberation that then becomes an idol, right? that, ah, this is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> I, that's, that's beautiful. I, I, I also think for me, anytime the incarnation is, is, is diminished, whether it be a modernist project of, um, you know, a kind of, I don't know, progressive Unitarianism or a pious project mm-hmm. that tries to move God back away from us. Um, for me, the, you know, the, the, the almost always your ethics are, are if you stop taking seriously god becoming human and and fully human um then you really it prevents him from being like us in all ways i mean i think what max got maximus confessor in trouble because he said the the struggle in the garden was real yeah. that's part of what makes it so important for us to, that he's our savior that's a real struggle there is a real will I, and i also think inevitably when you diminish the incarnation <coughs> uh there's going to be something in the way you treat poor the way you you know the way you engage with humanity i'm not saying it always happens but there's always a danger i think when um when we stop remembering <coughs> that baby happened that baby was born in real time real place that jesus was a real person a real place and so as john damascus argues it's appropriate exactly. let's do it to let's have an it. image of we're someone who actually was our, here
1: our we're putting back pretty good <laughs> Or putting it back, all right. yeah, and you said something too, Bill. Like in the Gnostic, I <laughs> a few episodes ago that, like, you pointed out, and I think this is right, that, that Gnosticism can take we, all sorts of sort of uh ethical, practical, like it, it can it can become overindulgent, right, or it can become a puritanical ascetic, asceticism, right. both of which are not taking the incarnation and creation yeah. seriously. And yeah. it could and go on the ridiculous, we're at of risk point.
2: of not, um, yeah. of I'm matching an, an iconoclast listening to this saying, okay, but you're not giving, you know, you're not, you're you're vaguely appealing to the incarnation the way that John of Damascus did, but you're not upping the ante and telling me what those advanced arguments are. So let's just really quick walk through them. So Constantine V takes all of the conciliar doctrines that you mentioned already in the series seriously, so much so that he says you can't be Chalcedonian, that is believe that there is a divine nature of Christ and the human nature of Christ and make an icon. This is how he parses his theological argument. He says, first of all, if you were to depict the divine nature, then you would be an idolater because the divine nature is beyond depiction. And then if you were to depict the human nature, which is possible, he concedes because Jesus was human. But the problem is then you would be an historian because you're separating the divine and the human natures. And then if you were to say, well, I'm just doing a mix right. of the two, well, then you're a yeah, meaphysite, right? You're trying to mix the two together. And so it's a really clever argument. And it took a couple of decades for there to be a reply. And that reply came in Theodore the Studite, who said, I'm not trying to depict either nature. I am. De- you haven't read Chalcedon enough, Emperor Constantine V, because Chalcedon doesn't say we get the divine and human natures directly. It says the divine and human natures are mediated through the person of Christ, the hypostasis. And therefore the icon is very reduced in what it claims to do. So this icon, even though this was made around exactly the time of Chalcedon and it has a Chalcedonian reflection to it, that's a wonderful argument made by a brilliant Orthodox theologian named Maximus Constas, who was Harvard div who then went to, Mount Athos and now is back in Massachusetts an incredible guy so he says this is an attempt to illustrate Chalcedon but what then happened is they said in order to retroactively justify this image that images only depict the hypostasis the person of Christ they're not directly mediating the natures and therefore good late iconophile theology is itself a critique of image idolatry And so the iconoclasts, and this would be controversial for some Orthodox Christians, but I would say the iconoclasts actually made a huge contribution to Christian history. And their critique was absorbed into the classic Christian theological doctrine such that we have a reduced understanding of images. And that lesson was never learned in the West, which may be why we had our own iconoclastic controversy. So a lot of sophistication there. And if you're still going to be an iconoclast, fine. But you have to realize now you're against the best thinking of the church, I think.
1: Okay. Well, I I, 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 I'm, I I'm with that. I like that. <laughs> I, I like that. And I like that Instagram account. <laughs> that's, <analogy>. great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, well, I see what a kid's lovey, the young people. Out there. We, yeah, well, all right. The we, young people. He's very popular with the, it's, it's like that Saturday Night Live skit where Joe Piscopo yeah. and uh, Eddie Murphy, and he's like, Frank, I want to do some tunes that the young people will enjoy. We're going to call it Frank does tunes <laughs> that the young people will enjoy.
0: Well, Matt, as always, it's as always, it's great to be with you, my friend and enlightening. And uh, and uh, this here again is what good evangelical scholarship. Thank you. So absolutely. And that's why you're the
1: glad you're season. doing it, man. Yeah,
0: very much so. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, my friend.
0: All right. You take care. God bless. Hey, happy Advent and give my best to your family. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.